0: those circumstances. So father, I pray for your blessing on this time. I pray for your work by your spirit in our hearts. We submit to you and we look for you. We pray in Jesus name. Amen. If you would go ahead and open in your Bibles, we're going to be in Psalm 107. And if you're using the pew Bible in front of you, that is on page 506. And if you don't have a Bible at home, that pew Bible is yours. Take it and, uh, and uh, take it home and read it and bring it back next week and read it again and, and all of that. But um, page 506, Psalm 107 is what we are looking at. Thanksgiving is this week, of course. And we as a nation set aside this time to remind ourselves and remind one another what the Lord has done. And to give him thanks for what he has done. Not all nations on earth do this. Perhaps not even many do this. And so this is a a time when we as a country get to do this. And what a blessed thing that we get to participate. Um, and, and I wonder during this time of year, I I always wonder, okay, what's the most valuable thing that people think of? What's the most valuable thing? What do they, what do they give God thanks the most for? Is it, is it, um, family? Family is a blessing. Is it our freedom? We get to uh, experience freedom in this country that's unparalleled around the world. Uh, Maybe it's health. Maybe it's deliverance from some disease. Maybe it's health for your family. Maybe it's an, another year of life. You're thankful for that. Maybe it's the prosperity that we have in our nation. What is it that you give thanks for? What's, the, what's top on your list that, that when it's time to count your blessings? What's the, uh, what's the highest one? We're looking at Psalm 107 today. And in Psalm 107, there's a, a word that's repeated in the, in the ESV. It's translated as steadfast love it's translated kindness in some versions loving kindness maybe maybe mercy and that's what the uh, psalmist is giving thanks for is the steadfast love the the loving kindness of the lord and uh, that that word is a powerful word it's it's hard to translate into english It's simple and normal in Hebrew, but of course we don't speak Hebrew, and so translating it into our language is difficult, but this psalm is an attempt by the psalmist to show various ways that God has demonstrated for us his steadfast love, and so I think by the end of this, we will have a better concept of what is meant by that word, and of course we're not here to do a word study together, we're here to learn from the Lord, and of course that word is so indicative of the Lord, it is so indicative of the way he treats us with steadfast love that we want to understand that better we want to understand his generous mercy that he shows that he doesn't owe us anything but he decides to make a covenant with us and then he treats us even better than that covenant demands of him it's generous love that's the way he treats us it is steadfast it is lavish it is super abundant love toward us and so it's a powerful word and we want to look at that And uh, we're going to look at Psalm 107 to do that. I'm going to read the entire Psalm. It's 43 verses. But it's one Psalm and it's communicating one idea. And so I want you to to follow along and uh, we'll see what the Lord's uh, got for us this morning from Psalm 107. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so whom he has redeemed from trouble and gathered in from the lands, from the east and from the west and from the north and from the south. Some wandered in desert wastes, finding no way to a city to dwell in. Hungry and thirsty, their soul fainted within them. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He led them by a straight way till they reached a city to dwell in. Let them thank the Lord for His steadfast love, for His wondrous works to the children of men. For He satisfies the longing soul, and the hungry soul He fills with good things. Some sat in darkness and in the shadow of death, prisoners in affliction and in irons. For they had rebelled against the words of God and spurned the counsel of the Most High. So He bowed their hearts down with hard labor. They fell down with none to help them. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and He delivered them from their distress. He brought them out of darkness in the shadow of death and burst their bonds apart. Let them thank the Lord for His steadfast love, for His wondrous works to the children of men. For He shatters the doors of bronze and cuts in two the bars of iron. Some were fools through their sinful ways, and because of their iniquities suffered affliction. They loathed any kind of food. They drew near to the gates of death. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and He delivered them from their distress. He sent out His word and healed them, and He delivered them from their destruction. Let them thank the Lord for His steadfast love, for His wondrous works to the children of men, and let them offer sacrifices of thanksgiving and tell of His deeds and songs of joy. Some went down to the sea in ships doing business on the great waters. They saw the deeds of the Lord, His wondrous works in the deep, for He commanded and raised the stormy wind which lifted up the waves of the sea. They mounted up to heaven. They went down to the depths. Their courage melted away in their evil plight. They reeled and staggered like drunken men and were at their wit's end. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and He delivered them from their distress. He made the storm... Be still. And the waves of the sea were hushed. Then they were glad that the waters were quiet, and he brought them to their desired haven. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of men. Let them extol him in the congregation of the people and praise him in the assembly of the elders. He turns rivers into a desert, springs of water into thirsty ground, a fruitful land into a salty waste, because of the evil of its inhabitants. He turns a desert into pools of water and parched lands into springs of water. And there he lets the hungry dwell, and they establish a city to live in. They sow fields and plant vineyards and get a fruitful yield. By his blessing they multiply greatly, and he does not let their livestock diminish. When they are diminished and brought low through oppression, evil and sorrow... He pours contempt on princes and makes them wander in trackless wastes. But he raises up the needy out of affliction and makes their families like flocks. The upright see it and are glad, and all wickedness shuts its mouth. Whoever is wise, let him attend to these things. Let him consider the steadfast love of the Lord. Amen. so you can see that that phrase steadfast love is repeated frequently throughout here and and actually the uh, aside from the introduction of verses 1 2 and 3 which sets the table for us give thanks to the lord for he is good his steadfast love endures forever let the redeemed of the lord say so whom he has redeemed from trouble and gathered in from the lands from every direction aside from that introduction which is introducing this idea of us meditating on and dwelling on the steadfast love of the lord he begins to do some case studies specific stories and case studies about the steadfast love of the lord that help us understand what it really means help us understand the ways god ministers in different circumstances has done so in the past and will do so in the future and so we have these case studies that we're going to look at case studies of the lord's steadfast love and first of all in in our first passage here starting in verse four we see that uh, he ministers in times of soul longing some wandered in desert wastes. Right, there was a. The situation was that they they wandered lost. They didn't have a place to go. They didn't have a a harbor to go to, in a manner of speaking. They didn't have a home to go to. They didn't have a city to go to. They didn't have provision. They were they were hungry and thirsty. And and uh, and and you can think about times in the history of Israel when this literally happened. We just finished. Uh, Going through Exodus, and if you think about the story of the people in in the Exodus, they were wandering through the wilderness, and and uh, they they were they were out in the desert, and they ended up being there for forty years. They wandered. They didn't have a city to go to. They didn't have a home. They wandered, and they were they were needy. And but that's not the only time. If you think about the history of Israel, some several hundred years later when the time of exile, when they were sent off to exile and some some were sent off to Babylon and some escaped and tried to run down to Egypt to get away from trouble and they were, they were wandering and they had no home and they had no place and they, they didn't have something that was their own and they were on their own and they were fleeing and they were running and they were experiencing soul longing. And I wonder how often that happens in life that you just feel like I'm all alone. There's no relief for me. There's no deliverance for me. There's no comfort. My comfort's been taken away. I struggle with this thing. And so what did they do? They cried to the Lord in their trouble. They cried to the Lord in their trouble. That's a phrase that's going to be repeated throughout. And there's nothing, there's nothing magical about it. There's not, there's not a special formula that if you pray this prayer in this particular way, the God will answer in this particular way. This is very simple. They cried out to the Lord. That's their cry. It's not profound. We don't have to study and see how they did it. They did it. It's not really creative. Even the way the psalmist presents it is very straightforward and simple. It's not the it's not the eloquence of the crying out or it's not the special way they cried out or you know uh, let's let's do it right and not do it wrong or whatever they cried out to the Lord in their distress that's all there was to it. it wasn't done in a special way and what was God's response He delivered them from their distress He led them by a straight way till they reached a city to dwell in God hears he gave them what they longed for they wandered in the desert they wandered in a, in a place where there was no relief and there was no satisfaction and there was no deliverance and and it was a it was a dry place and there was they were hungry and hungry in soul this isn't just literal this is this is what's going on in their hearts they cried out to the lord and he delivered them he delivered them he gave them what they needed He brought them to a land. He fed their soul. He met their need. God hears. And what's their response? Their response is very simple. They should thank the Lord for the way He treated them and showed Himself to be generous and faithful on their behalf. Their response is very simple. Let them thank the Lord, verse 8, for His steadfast love, for His wondrous works to the children of men. The response is thanks. The response is thanks to the Lord that He delivered and why? Look at verse 9. We're given a reason for, because here's the reason you thank the Lord for that. For he satisfies the longing soul. And the hungry soul he fills with good things. This is what makes me think this isn't just literal wandering around and God directs you to a place to go. That happened. We can see that in the Old Testament with the nation of Israel. But this has to do with a soul longing and a, and a deep thirst and hunger that you have deep down that, that has not been satisfied. Cry out to the Lord and he will satisfy And then give thanks to him, for he satisfies the longing soul and the hungry soul. He fills with good things. And so that's the first case study. In times of soul longing, God steps in and ministers. Does he owe you that? He does not. But does he give it? He does. Because of who he is. Because of what steadfast love means and the fact that it is true of him, he gives that love. And so we have that case study. We move on and we have another case study where the uh, the next passage here, in circumstances caused by sin... This is this is their own sin. Look at verse 10. Some sat in darkness and in the shadow of death, prisoners in affliction and in irons, for they had rebelled against the words of God and spurned the counsel of the Most High. This was a circumstance caused by their own disobedience. Have you ever experienced one of those? Most of the problems I experience are from my own disobedience, right? And so I've often thought, I don't know, Lord. I mean, you, you give mercy to, you know, people who are innocently suffering, but but what about the guy who's, who's in trouble because he should be in trouble? They were in trouble because of what they had done. They were in trouble because they had spurned his word. They had not listened to what he said. They had been brought to this circumstance because of their own sin. And so what's their response? They cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. They cried to the Lord. What special way? No special way. They cried to the Lord. But what about the formula? Isn't there a a certain number of steps that they were, or way they were supposed to cry to the Lord? Isn't no? They cried to the Lord. They cried out, and they realized I'm in a bad place, and it's my fault. Lord, I need your help. Lord, I need your mercy. And they cried out to the Lord. And how did He respond? He hears. He delivered them from their distress. He brought them out of darkness in the shadow of death and burst their bonds apart. He responds. He hears. Does he owe it to people who are in trouble because of their own sin to step in and rescue them? And he does it. And he does it. That's what steadfast love is. That's the love of God that he would be so generous, that he would be so super abundant with his doling out of love, that he would step in, even in situations like this, that these people found themselves in trouble, in chains, in bondage because of their own disobedience, and they cried out to the Lord, and he answered. He heard them, and he stepped in. And their response, of course, is let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of men. His works toward the children of men don't all look the same. The people in the first case were wandering lost and they, and they had just had this deep soul longing and God met that soul longing. That was his wondrous works to the children of men. The, this second group, they're in trouble because of their own sin. And his wondrous work toward those children is that he steps in and he sets them free. And what's the, what's the reason he does so? Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of men, for he shatters the doors of bronze and cuts into the bars of iron. For many of us, that, verse 16, should be hope-giving. Because you look at your life and you think about the trouble you're in and you think it's because of my own pattern of sin. It's like I'm chained. It's like I'm locked behind iron doors. I can't get out. I'm stuck. And it's because of my own sin. Why would God ever have mercy on me? I've got to find my way out of here. I've got to get my way out of here. Doors of iron. You're not clawing your way through that. This should give hope because he shatters the doors of bronze and he cuts into the bars of iron. He delivers. He rescues. He frees. For some of you, that's exactly the message you need to hear. Because you are locked up like these people because of your own choices, because of your own sin. And you want out and you can't get out. Cry to the Lord. It doesn't have to be a special cry. It's a cry to the Lord. And He delivers. He responds with his steadfast love. He shatters the doors of bronze and he cuts into the iron bars. So we have circumstances caused by sin. Well, this third group that we have is a little bit different. They're in pain from internal corruption. So maybe their circumstances aren't miserable. Their heart sure is miserable because of their own sin, because of their own weakness, because of their own fallenness, because of their own choices that they have made. Some were fools through their sinful ways and because of their iniquities, verse 17, suffered affliction. They loathed any kind of food and they drew near to the gates of death. This reminds me of David. Remember in Psalm 32 and in Psalm 51 where he's he's thinking back on his sin that he committed with Bathsheba and killing Uriah the Hittite and all that that anguish and the guilt that he carried with him for a year until the prophet Nathan brought it before him and revealed it and and he he came clean. Well, Psalm 51 and, and 32 uh, and and uh, and others are his response to that and he's thinking about his own soul. He's thinking about what it was like and he says in verse uh, Psalm 32 and verse three and four he says for i kept silent my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long you ever felt like that i have your bones are wasting away if someone shook your hand too hard you feel like you'd break because you're rotten for day and night your hand was heavy upon me my strength was dried up as by the heat of summer and that's these people their heart is sick they hardly have strength for life because they're miserable because of their own sin. They're miserable because they keep choosing their own way. They keep ignoring God. They keep, they're foolish and they don't care what God says. They pursue what they want to pursue and it ends up, even if their circumstances don't destroy them, their heart's going to destroy them. And they're sick with it. And what do they do? They cry to the Lord in their trouble. But didn't they clean up their life first? Didn't they get rid of their sin first? Didn't they, you know, at least get rid of the worst of the sin or at least get rid of the sin that you can't talk about in public and then maybe you can bring it and talk about it. Maybe that's how, no. They were in the midst of that and they were miserable and their hearts were dying within them. And they cried out to the Lord. And no surprise, he delivered them from their distress. He sent out his word and healed them and delivered them from their destruction. They were destroying themselves from within and he responds with healing. Does he, does he owe you that? Does he owe me that? He does not. And that's how he responds. That's his steadfast love that he pours out toward us. By the way, this is the nature of salvation. This is the condition that every man is born into, every woman is born into. This is the condition of the human heart, that we are rotten from within. So many people think that the key is to clean up their lives and to fix their, fix their circumstances and, and live a certain way and, and God will bless them or they'll be right with God or they'll be happy in the world or whatever. And the problem is much much closer to home. It's their own sinful heart. It's dead and it's rotten and it's, it, it's killing them. That's the nature of salvation. And if, if you don't know Christ, that's you. That's the way you were born. Rotten from the inside, just like I was born rotten from the inside. And God calls you today to cry out to Him. To, to turn turn from wanting your own way and demanding your own thing and turn to Him. And trust Him. And He, guess what He'll do when you cry out to Him? Deliver them from their destruction. That's what He does consistently. And He will deliver you. God hears. He delivers them from their destruction it's amazing what he does. He sends his word. He heals them. He didn't owe them any of that. And he did that. It's exactly what he did. And it was the ministry of God's word that ministers in your heart. And he gives life. And he delivers you from the destruction that you deserve. He delivers you from that soul rottenness that has put you in that situation where you're just languishing because of your sin. And he delivers you. Cry out to the Lord. And what's the response? Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of men. God loves to save people. He loves to step in. He knows that your worst enemy is you. And he loves to step in and save you from yourself. He loves to give you a new heart. He loves to bring you to repentance and give you new life in Christ. That's what he wants to do. And Christian, he loves to step into your life. And he loves to deliver you from the heart sickness of your own sin. There is hope. Cry out to the Lord and he will deliver you. That's our third case study. The fourth one is in the the chaotic storms of life some went down verse 23 some went down to the sea in ships doing business on the great waters and they saw God's greatness and they also saw terrible storms that God had blown up these winds that had kicked up the sea so so big that when they were cresting the waves it was like they were in the sky and then when they were at the bottom it was like they were in the depths and they thought they were going to die and they staggered around like they were drunk they didn't know what to do they despaired of life circumstances of life this is a picture of chaos chaos in life does that happen in life? absolutely it doesn't even have to be the result of your own sin i mean a a large percentage of the chaos i've experienced in my life has been because of me a large percentage has been because of other other people what they've caused but so much of it is just living life and it's chaotic and it's enormous and you fear for life and you walk around in a drunken stupor you don't know how to respond you don't know you don't know what to do you you can't hardly walk straight you can't you don't know how to navigate this thing and it's just chaos it's the chaos of life and it just happens, and that's what these people found themselves in. That's, that's what they saw themselves going through, and it was difficult, and they didn't know a way out. They couldn't understand it. Who can't relate to that image? I can relate to that image. I've been in those places, and I have watched many of you go through those places, and I know that many more of us will go through those places. You don't understand it, and you can't understand it, and what are you going to do? And the forces are bigger than you. And what are you going to do? Well, you're going to cry out to the Lord. Verse 28, they cried to the Lord in their trouble. These same, same cry, same words. Cry, cry out to the Lord. He's bigger than your circumstances. He's bigger than those circumstances you can't fathom. The ones that you can't even live through that cause you to stumble around like a like a Like a drunkard. And he's bigger than those circumstances. So cry out to the Lord. And what does he do? He responds. He leads them out of their distress. And he delivers them from that place of chaos and misery and storm at sea to a place of peace and calm and rest. Isn't that where you want to be? That's where I want to be. And he delivers them to that, to that rest from chaos, right? Right? This word delivered in verse 28 is the same word that's very often used of them going through the Red Sea in the Exodus. He delivered them. He rescued them through it. He carried them through it. He brought them through the sea. And how often do we do that? How often do we have those times that we go through? He delivers. So cry out to him. And what's their response? Verse 31, let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love for his wondrous works to the children of men. No difference. Let's thank the Lord for that kind of deliverance. For these other kinds of deliverance, certainly. And this kind of deliverance. Let us thank the Lord for his steadfast love for his wondrous works to the children of men. But I I love how it continues there in verse 32. Let them extol him in the congregation of the people. We're going to have an opportunity tonight when when we get to extol the Lord in the congregation of the people, and we get to tell people this is what God did to deliver me, and that's encouraging for me to hear, and that's encouraging for you to hear. Extol the people, extol the Lord in the congregation of the people, and praise Him in the assembly of the elders. By the way, this is this has an element of where we're talking about at church, where we're we're describing and explaining what the Lord did to deliver us and save us from those things in church. We get to talk about that here, but there's an element in which we also do that in the marketplace. We also do that in our regular life with your neighbor over the fence, with your coworker at work, with your buddies where you share what the Lord has done to deliver you. This is who God is. He is a saving God. And so we have the opportunity to do that tonight. So 6 o'clock right here, I strongly encourage you to come here, not just for the pie. The pie is a lot of fun, but where we get to talk about what God has done. And you will be encouraged. There will be situations you'll hear about tonight that you had no idea about when people were going through them. You kind of wondered why they looked a little tired at certain times or, or, you know, maybe they weren't here for a while or whatever. And you will hear the story and you will hear the story of how God delivered them. And you will be drawn to a place where you give praise and you give glory to God for a situation you didn't even know about but because God provided his steadfast love and he ministered in the heart of that person. So those are the case studies. And we see there's a lot of similarity. The circumstances are very different. But they always respond by crying out to the Lord. And God delivers. And they respond with thanksgiving. And so there's a, there's a lot to be learned just by meditating on those few stories and, and by spending time thinking about those different circumstances. For me, as I th- thought through it, and, and as I meditated on these different case studies, I personally was encouraged uh, by some of them in ways that I wasn't the first three or four or five times I read the story. But the more I thought about the fact that God delivers even those who are in trouble because they're fools, I was encouraged. And the storms, chaotic storms of life. I mean, we hear the word cancer so often. And it has taken people and it has threatened people. And it has hurt people horribly. That's a storm of life. Cry out to the Lord. Cry out to the Lord. Secondly, we want to look at the themes of the Lord's steadfast love. And the themes are very simple and these will not be surprising to you. But the first one is that God overrules natural forces for his beloved. He overrules natural forces for the sake of his beloved. Look what we see in verses 33 through 38. He turns rivers into a a desert. Springs of water into thirsty ground, a fruitful land into a salty waste. Why? Because of the evil of its inhabitants. So God overrules this lovely, beautiful place that had plenty of fresh water and it grew well and stuff like that. And the people there, because of the evil, he, he can change that place. He overrules natural forces for the good of his children, for the sake of his beloved. But on the other hand here, he turns a desert into pools of water and parched land into springs of water. And there he lets the hungry dwell and they establish a city to live in. So he takes a place that's uninhabitable. He takes a situation that's miserable, a situation you cannot see how it could be good. And he works it for good, for the sake of his beloved even including natural forces, even including weather patterns, even including massive world-type stuff. Hurricanes, tornadoes and earthquakes, plagues. He can overrule that stuff, and he overrules that stuff for the sake of his beloved. I thought momentarily about first couple of verses there 33 and 34 about him taking a great place and making it into a bad place because of the evil of its inhabitants and and i know there's a temptation to to look at maybe parts of the world or parts of the country or something where bad things are happening and think well see that's a result of their sin i don't think that's helpful because god doesn't tell us that in that situation in that particular time in in our day and in that circumstance that it's the result of their sin i don't think that's helpful i think that's that's us pointing the finger and us uh, being being uh, curious in unhelpful ways about other people's circumstances, I don't think that's helpful. But when it's my own circumstance, or when it's a difficulty in my own life or in my own sphere, it's a it's an appropriate thing for me to search my heart and see what what am I doing? Is is there? Is, am I am I so disobedient to the Lord that He has to use this? Massive circumstance to get my attention That's possible and that's a helpful way to think about it. The answer may completely be no I'm not telling you what the answer is for you, but i'm telling you that for for you to ponder that about my life is unhelpful For you to ponder about your own life for me to ponder about my own life is helpful Let me deal with the plank that's in my own eye let me look at my circumstances and see if, if this hardship is the result of my own disobedience, my own sin toward the Lord. Let, let me look at, at my own life and, and take, a, take stock and assessment of my own life. I'm not going to do that for my brother. I'm not going to do that for my sister. And I'm not going to do that for people in other parts of the world going through difficulty. But God takes those Beautiful places, and because of the sinfulness of the inhabitants, he can, he can overrule that and discipline them by changing those circumstances. On the other hand, he can also take a place that's uninhabitable, and he can make it not only habitable, but a fruitful and a blessed place for his children to live. Because he wants to do that, to feed his people. To give nourishment to his dear ones. God does that. He's not limited by the fact that we live in a desert. (laughs) That's not a problem to the Lord. That's not an issue, nor is, it, nor is it a guarantee of prosperity and whatnot to, to move to, you know, a veritable oasis. God is in control, and he's sovereign over those things. And so he's sovereign over natural forces, and he, he works and he overrules those for the sake of his beloved. He also overrules human forces for the sake of his beloved. Look at verse 39. When they are diminished, his, his, his people, when his people are diminished and they're brought low through oppression and evil and sorrow, he pours contempt on princes, rich people. I've, I've heard a couple of statistics lately that I can't fathom, like some low number of people own 50% of the world's assets. It's like 80 people or something own 50% of the world's assets. I can't even fathom that. That's crazy, right? So who's to, like, how would you ever compete? How would you, how's the Lord, you know, if, if you had a cause against or if, if evil were being done to you by someone as rich as Bill Gates or someone like that, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? The Lord is sovereign and he overrules even such human authority. Whether they're princes, whether they're, whether they're kings, presidents, uh, people in authority over us, people who have financial um, rule over us, whether it's our boss or whatever. We, we are not helpless. Not because we have some internal power that if we will do things right, we can make things happen. That may be right in, in some circumstances. That may be completely false in others. But the fact is that God oversees all of those circumstances. And He can overrule even princes. He pours contempt on princes and He makes them wander in trackless wastes. But he raises up the needy out of affliction and he makes their families like flocks. They were barren, they thought they were dying. This is a miserable situation. My boss is just crushing me, or our government is just crushing me, or finances some you know, mogul or whatever. Like I just can't I can't endure under these circumstances. He raises up the needy from their affliction and he makes them like flocks, makes their families like flocks. They multiply, they're prosperous, they they're blessed by God despite the, the, the worst that the princes can do or the worst that those in power. He bends human forces to serve his purposes and ultimately to bless his people. Thirdly, I want to look at the response to the Lord's steadfast love. I think we have a good idea. We're starting to get a comprehension. We're starting to get an idea of what the steadfast love of the Lord is a little bit like. Well, first of all, our response should be to meditate on the Lord's steadfast love. Look at verse 43. Whoever is wise, let him attend to these things. Let them consider the steadfast love of the Lord. This will contribute to your wisdom and you will understand life better and you will understand yourself better by meditating on, by thinking upon the steadfast love of the Lord, by thinking upon God's character. You will become wiser as you face new circumstances you go into... I know that the Lord is able to and often does bend natural forces for the good of his beloved. I know that he is, uh, is able to and often does bend human forces for the good of his beloved. I have these case studies that I can look at, and I have the rest of the Bible that I can read to see this is the case. And so I have great confidence going forward. Not great confidence that my situation is going to work out necessarily the way I want it to, but confidence that God Almighty, who loves me, has this circumstance under control, and he will take me through it. That was the testimony of some of the people whose family members were killed in in Texas a couple of weeks ago. We don't understand this situation. I, I, I don't know why this happened, but I know the God who exists. And so I can take comfort going through this circumstance. I can navigate that. So it gives us wisdom when we meditate on the Lord's steadfast love. It's not just a good thing to do. It makes us wise for life. And when you talk to someone who doesn't know the Lord or someone who doesn't understand about uh, God's faithfulness. The first thing you want to tell them is, look, you need to understand that there is a, a good and sovereign God who's in control. And if you understand that, if you lean on him, your circumstance may not change one little bit. But your entire outlook on it will change because you know this God and you trust this God. And you're able to go through that circumstance because he's there. You trust him. He's ultimately good, and he's ultimately in charge. And so you, you want people to get that in their minds. You want people to understand that because they could face life. So often they don't understand it. So so, contemplating the steadfast love of the Lord is not just a good thing to do. It's not just a good thing. It, it, it makes us wise for life. And secondly, our response, give thanks to the Lord for his steadfast love. This is the way the psalm started. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. And in the midst of each of these case studies we looked at, they thanked, let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of men. Thank the Lord for it. Giving thanks at this time of year is Thanksgiving, of course, and it's a it's a powerful time of year because it reminds us, it's an opportunity when we have to remind each other and ourselves that we are not divine. We are not God. We are not the ones making wonderful things happen in our lives. We are not the cause of good things in our lives. God himself is. And so a, a time of thanksgiving causes us to say, I praise the Lord and I thank him for his good work in my life. I, I thank God daily for my salvation. The fact that he would rescue a wretch like me. Call me to be his own. That's the, that's the largest. That is the, the, the foundation Item that I want to praise him for as far as his steadfast love toward me when we give thanks to him It reminds us that he is God and he is good and he is the ultimate source the giver of all these good things And it helps us see life it helps us understand life and be able to walk through it To be brave not because we can toughen up and we can do it But because God is good and he's sovereign and he's in this situation and he's working in this situation And what if God doesn't deliver you the way you want to be delivered? His deliverance doesn't always look like you want his deliverance to look. What do we do then? How do you respond to someone who's going through a situation like that? How do you respond in your own life when he's not delivering you the way you want him to? Well, here's a secret. Our hope is not in his deliverance. Our hope is in him. And if he decides, if he chooses for us that we will go through this circumstance and he, he won't change the circumstance a bit, but that he will take us all the way through it, that is the best thing for us. He is a loving God and he knows you best and he is all powerful. It's not that his arm is too short to cause that to happen. It's not that, wow, God just couldn't quite work it out. He couldn't, couldn't save it in the end. God is all powerful and he's able to do all things he wants. He's also good, and he knows you, and he knows your circumstance. He knows what he can take you through, and he knows what is best for you. And it may be that what is best for you is to go through the midst of this difficult circumstance. You may be delivered through it rather than rescued from it the way you want. God does that, and that's, that's not... Uh, That doesn't diminish his goodness. That doesn't diminish his power. Isaiah 46.10 says, My counsel shall stand, and I will accomplish all my purpose. He has the power, and he's the one who knows what's best for you. And so his working in those circumstances is, for his beloved, causing all things to work together for good, even in those circumstances. So your hope is not in God's deliverance of you. Your hope is in God himself. So this time of year, we want to thank the Lord for that. We want to thank the Lord for him, for who he is. Because if it weren't for him, we would be in a world of trouble. We would be stuck in these circumstances. But he delivers. He delivers. So we get to talk about this tonight. We get to praise the Lord for his deliverance of us. And we get to praise the Lord for the fact that He has caused us to be able to bear up even in the midst of times when He did not deliver us. Or maybe He has not delivered us yet. He's still good. And He knows what is best. And we don't know the end of the story, but we know Him who writes the end of the story. The beginning of this verse in Isaiah 46.10 says, He declares the end from the beginning. It doesn't say He recognizes, He observes, He knows. It says He declares it. He makes it so. And so we can trust him because he's the one who writes history. I'm going to go to the Lord in prayer. We're going to pray together in just a moment. Before I do, I want to I want to make some real quick announcements here. Again, tonight from 6 o'clock, our, our Thanksgiving praise service is a blessed time. You will go away encouraged. Second of all, um, in preparation for that, four-year-olds all the way up through high school students meet Monty up here. All right, come on up here and meet. Uh, also, there's going to be a Peru meeting that's going to happen at about noon over in the fellowship hall. And then finally, and on this topic, this is powerful, we're going to have, uh, there's going to be a couple up here to pray with you. If, if you need to be prayed for, then come on up and and, and be able to pray and have them, um, you can share with, with them and they will pray for you in your circumstance. And they will cry out to the Lord with you in the midst of your circumstance or they will give thanks with you for his deliverance. Let's pray. Father, I, I thank you for your deliverance of me throughout uh, many circumstances. And I look at certain circumstances and I, at the time I so wished you would deliver me sooner. I so wished you would deliver me in a particular way and you, you didn't. Maybe you delivered me in a different way. Or maybe you walked me through the midst of them to deliver me out the other side. And now I look back and now I give you thanks because I know you better and I trust you better. Father, I pray that you would help each one in here to look to you that way and to understand that their hope is not in your deliverance, though you give it, but their hope is you. I pray that everyone here would trust you in that way. I pray that everyone here would understand their own sickness of heart and that they would cast themselves upon you and they would beg for deliverance from you, that they would cry out to you, and that they would give you great thanks when you respond. Father, I pray that for all of us. I pray that we would look to you, that we would know you, that we would cry out to you, and that we would give you the thanks and praise that, that you deserve. Often I forget that. I don't want to forget that. And thank you for tonight when we get, to, uh, we get to do that together. Praise you for what you've done before the congregation and before the elders of the people. You satisfy the longing soul and the hungry soul you fill with good things. You shatter the doors of bronze and cut in two the bars of iron. So we will offer to you sacrifices of thanksgiving and tell of your deeds and songs of joy. We will extol you in the congregation of the people and praise you in the assembly of the elders. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you, and you are dismissed.